Would you pray with me this morning? God, by the power of your spirit, I ask today that your word, your vision for Waukee Community Church would be made manifest here in this place, that it would be crystal clear by the time I'm done speaking what you're calling us to do as a body. I pray that my words would be anointed today. I pray that our hearts would be anointed today, that we would be receptive to what you are going to say to us, and then, God, don't leave it there. Change us by the power of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, some of you may have been wondering who I am, and my name is Pastor Dave. Uh, You may have seen me here in the past, but... I was gone three weeks, and the first one was to marry my brother off. Well, I didn't personally marry him. He had a bride for that. But uh, I officiated the wedding. And uh, thanks, Molly. <laughs> Appreciate that one laugh from Molly. That's awesome. Um, but uh, <laughs> I had a chance to officiate that wedding, and it was a great experience. My brother's uh, four, almost 40 years old, and so I got lots of digs in there about how old he is uh, because he's older than me. And so uh, that was a great uh, experience there. Not that I would point out anybody today here who is 40 years old, but uh, that has happened here today as well. Anyway, um, also, uh, I just want to, to let you know that, that then I was gone for two weeks for the global missions trip, and I look forward to people from our team sharing with you. I just can't describe to you how great it is to see God working in a powerful place where most of us, frankly, are terrified to go, and we're terrified to let our spouses go, and, uh, and it's a huge barrier for us as a church going there. I, we get that, but when you see what God is doing in a place like this, where Christ is so needed, it's just powerful. So two weeks, just great experience, and I look forward to sharing with you more about that in the future. But today is the State of the Church Address, and this is the fifth time I've had a chance to do this. On the occasion of our annual meeting, it's a chance for us to kind of look at the past and see where we've been and look at the future for where we're going. And I've thought about ways to, you know, this is the State of the Church Address, so I've thought about ways to make this more official. Uh, Maybe I should wear a tie, but no, <laughs> that's not me. And uh, I get that out on Easter and Mother's Day. Those are our exceptions for the tie rule. So this didn't qualify. But I've, I've thought about ways to make it more official. I thought maybe having armed guards up here with sunglasses and radios in would help you a bit. But then I sort of settled on this idea. I thought we'd put two tall chairs right behind me and put two of our elders back there. And every time I say something, they could stand and applaud wildly for me. But no... <laughs> But none of them went for that idea. I don't know why. So you're stuck with just me. Every year when I do this, it's good for us to remember where we've been. Now, some of you, this will be the fifth year I've reviewed our history with you. And so you'll sort of roll your eyes at this thing. But for some of you, this is your first time uh, of being here for this sort of past tour de jour of, of Waukee Community Church. And so what I would remind you is that probably the majority of us weren't here five and a half years ago on that first Sunday when we launched. And, uh, but I've seen pictures of it, and, that's, and I know some of you were here, but uh, back then we had fruit and bagels instead of donuts, so we've progressed in the right direction as a church, obviously. I saw it in the pictures. It was really impressive. And, and so, but five and a half years ago, most of you probably weren't here. And so it's good for me to remind you of where we came from and how we got started And I always say, and you've heard me say it many times, that Waukee Community Church was born in a diner. It was uh, Bob Stouffer and Denny Ogden sat down together to uh, prepare 
at Valley Church, they led an ABF together, and they were there to prepare and talk about their ABF. It's like adult Sunday school, their, their lesson. And that day, they didn't get to talking much about uh, their ABF lesson because they began to talk about discipleship. And they began to talk about what would it be like if we went to, a, to church, we had a church that just simply focused on the idea of discipleship. At the same time, they begin to start to talk about the city of Waukee and, and feeling just passionate about the need for there to be a disciple-making church in Waukee. Denny and Bob that day dreamed of a church where people didn't just go to church. They dreamed of a place where people were the church. And they dreamed of a place where people were genuinely involved in each other's lives, where they didn't just see each other on Sunday and say, hey, see you next week, maybe, if I'm there. But they said, I'm going to genuinely be involved in your life throughout the week. Now, one of Valley Church's vision points had always been to plant a church, and, and they had done this once before, I think. But uh, Denny and Bob latched onto this idea. They said, if your vision is to, to plant a church, we want to grab that idea, and we want to run with it. And it wasn't too long before several others uh, who are here today latched on, and they said, you know what? We want to plant a church in Waukee. We want to be part of that. We have a desire. And so from the beginning, this idea of discipleship was woven into the fabric, the DNA of who we are as a church. And we wanted to do something simple and something that stressed community. From the beginning, those were woven in. Simplicity and community, discipleship, those ideas. And so soon others joined, and, and Mark Doss, who you met two weeks ago, and for some of you, that was the first time you've ever seen Mark. Mark's a great guy, and Mark uh, came and, and helped this church plant and get started and offered his wisdom as a church planner. And then on uh, Palm Sunday of 2005, Waukee Community Church launched. Now, it was very early in this process of Waukee Community Church that they realized that they, they wanted to hire a pastor. And so a few months later, they formed a search committee, and uh, I happen to know Mark Doss, uh, which is how my connection to Waukee Community Church came about. And uh, I happen to know him. And, and before I knew it, Clarissa and I were sitting in Jeff and Jane's kitchen and uh, sitting around the kitchen table. And that day, Bob and Mark and Denny and Jane and Monica, Stan and Matt Bloom, I believe that's all that were there, sat around that table together. And we went back and forth. And, and I remember laughing. But the thing I remember most is debating with them about some of the fine points of how to do church. I, I'm not sure why to this day they hired me, <laughs> because I don't think I agreed with some of the things they were talking about around that table. And I'm not sure why I said yes to all that. But what was very clear to me is that once I started in November of 2005, I had a lot of catching up to do. But what was so cool to me is to see how God quickly wove my heart into the vision of what he was doing here at Waukee Community Church. Now, after November of 2005, the first couple of years, you know, it's sort of that uh, terrible twos phase. And we went through a lot of time talking about how this vision of disciple making would, would work itself out. And we spent hours and hours as a, as a leadership team. I remember people going, when, when are you going to do something? Like, come on, elders, get with it. When are we going to do something? But we said, no, 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 we got to figure this stuff. We got a lot to figure out first. So just hang on. And uh, we came up with this Blossom idea, and I know some people went, that's it? I mean, what, two years? And you came up with Blossom? Like, that's 
dumb. But it really encapsulates if, if the fabric of how we want to make disciples. It describes who we want to be. And that's why every week we try to get Thomas up here or someone else to share one of the points of the blossom. To say we really want to be about becoming disciples. We want to, we, we, we just desire. And as we talked about this fabric of who we were going to be, it became very quick, very obvious to us early on that we wanted to do church in a way that didn't just keep people busy. We wanted to make disciples, but in some, some other way than programs. Because our experience, mine included, at all different churches I've been to, is that programs can be great, but they can also have some huge detriments. Uh, sometimes they just keep everyone so busy that they don't actually have time to become disciples. And sometimes they, they make everyone feel like you're doing something because you're sitting in a chair listening to a class or Whatnot, but all it's doing is increasing your knowledge. It's not changing your life. That pretty much chronicles our story. I mean, that's the express version of where we've been. And that's why we do things the way we do. Discipleship is at the top of our list of important things. Programs are at the bottom of our list of important things. Now, the problem here, when you look at our story, I want to move on to the next part of our message today, which talks about my concerns. And this is the part that makes me a little nervous, okay? Three weeks out of the pulpit, you may have all decided that you don't need me or like me anyway. So, you know, move on, Dave. And then Dave comes back and does what I'm about to do today. And probably by the end, it just makes me a little nervous to go to this next part. I got to be honest with you. But see, I love our mission and our vision and our values. And I think... That if you've been coming here for any length of time, you've latched on to these mission, vision, and values, and you share them as well. And I, but I think that probably when we take an honest, hard look at where we are as a church and where we're going, when we do that, when we take an honest and hard look, I think most people have gotten this message. They've gotten the idea that we're not going to fill your life with programs. But I think... As a whole at Waukee Community Church, we've forgotten about our vision to make disciples. See, I have some fears, to be honest. I have some fears, and and my first fear is that our desire to have few programs here at Waukee Community Church has resulted in nothing. I think that people like this idea. No programs? Dude, that's the church I want to go to. All I have to do is go on Sunday? I mean, they're not going to ask for Sunday night, and they're not going to ask for Wednesday night or Thursday night and Saturday mornings. You mean all I have to do is go on Sunday? Sweet! Like, that's the church I want to go to. I can just show up. My fear is that no programs has turned us into nothing. You see, programs are part of the American church culture. And they're easy because someone tells us what to do or where to go or I have a tangible thing I'm supposed to do. Someone gives me assignment and I fulfill it. Programs are great for that. But I'm I'm afraid at Waukee Community Church that we've settled for, we've gladly erased programs for our life, but we've settled for nothing in exchange. Programs are a vehicle for discipleship. And we just decided that we didn't want to get on that bus. If the goal is discipleship, programs get us there. We wanted a different bus. The bus that we wanted to get on was the relationship bus. But I'm afraid at Waukee Community Church that we've got on no bus at all. And my fear is that we've replaced programs with nothing. 
I have another fear. The first one is that no programs equals nothingness. The second fear is about a little phrase that started before I came here. But this little phrase, leadership out of control. Maybe you've heard this or maybe you haven't. The idea of leadership out of control was simply this. Most churches, people wait around for their leaders to tell them to do something. Tell me what to do and I'll do it. You just give me the idea. You know, you want me to start a biker ministry? I'll buy the motorcycle and, and, you know, and I'll come every week with the tank of gas for them. You know, just give me something to do. And everybody, but what we said is, no, 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 no. If you're following Christ and you're becoming a disciple, God is, your, his Holy Spirit is leading you as well. So instead of us telling you what to do, you tell us what you want to do, and then we'll empower you to do it. And that has resulted, in my estimation, as a whole lot of nothing. Because nobody is saying, oh, 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 Dave, 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 can I do this? Please, please, please. I want to go run this. I have this heart and passion. No, 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 no. Because what we have settled for in the church is, no, 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 Dave. Let the leaders tell us what to do. And then if I have time to fit it in my schedule, I'll help you out. So what happens is most churches, we end up recruiting a lot of volunteers, right? We go out and we have to pull people by the tie. That's Denny's favorite expression, you know? We yank them by the tie and get them into ministry. And we said, no, no, we don't want to do that. What do you have a heart to do? And we discovered that we as a church don't really want to do a whole lot. That's my concern with leadership out of control. And I honestly believe in my heart of hearts that this is a failure on the part of your leaders. As your leaders, we have failed to provide a vision, one that we can grab a hold of and run with. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Gladiator, but Gladiator was set in ancient Rome. And uh, at the beginning of the movie, there's this emperor, and his name is Marcus Aurelius. And uh, and he is uh, getting older, and he's going to have to pass on the power to his son, whose name is Commodus. Now, it's very apparent in the movie that Commodus does not have the character to lead. If you've seen this movie, the son is, is, does not have the character and the ability to lead these people. And so Emperor Aurelius sits down with him, and he, in this really passionate, tearful scene, he explains to Commodus why Commodus won't be the next emperor of Rome. And in this tearful scene... Commodus is weeping, and the father is weeping, and, uh, and Commodus makes his plea that he doesn't have the character qualities that, that the dad wants, but he has other character qualities, which, all of which are lacking in vast ways. And the emperor that's about to die looks at his son, and he says to his son, weeping, your failures as a son are my failures as a father. Honestly, as representative of your leadership team, I think that's true. Our failures as a church are our failures as a leadership team. Now, we'd appreciate it if you don't do the next thing that happened in the movie, which Commodus kills his father. <laughs> Please don't take it that far, right? It's just, it's just an illustration. But we haven't. Our vision has been go do something. But we've never taught you how to do it. We've never said, here's how to make a disciple. I'm going to pull you in and I'm going to teach you how to be a disciple and how to make a disciple. Uh, we have partnered with an organization in the Middle East. And one of their, uh, this organization also works on different campuses in our country and around the world. And one of the things that they say a lot 
is a disciple isn't a disciple until he's made a disciple. We've never taught you how to do that. Leadership out of control, which is great, and we really want that, it doesn't substitute for leadership. It's our desire in the next year to teach you how to be a disciple and how to make a disciple. So I'm concerned. I'm concerned that no programs means nothing. I'm concerned that leadership out of control means no leadership at all. And the third concern that I have is that the three circles don't mean very much. The three circles don't mean very much. If you've been through membership class at Walking Community Church, you heard us talk about three circles. There are three commitments that we want every member of Waukee Community Church to make. And when you signed your membership covenant, you, you basically were saying, I will be part of these three circles. The first one is this, the Sunday gathering. Sunday gathering is where we come together as, a, as the body of Christ, all together, where we hear the teaching of God's word for transformation and where we worship God. That's the point of Sunday gathering. So we all need to be part of that. The second thing we've asked is to be part of a life group. Because relationships are so important to us, we said that, that life groups are essential to who we are. Now, what we've discovered is that life groups are really messy. I mean, they don't always work, and relationships are difficult, and you know, it's much easier to just do our duty and go. But we think relationships, if that's the vehicle we're going to take to discipleship, life groups are essential. And the last circle that we always share with you is the circle of service. It's our desire that everyone serves in the body and out of the body. Inside this body, you're going to find somewhere to serve, somewhere to give your time. Outside of the body, you're going to give your life away. You're going to give it to your neighbor or give it to something, somewhere where you can live out and share the good news of Jesus Christ. And what we have never done is actually hold anyone accountable for the three circles. There's a whole host of you who've never gotten to a life group. And yet your name's on a membership covenant. And there's a whole host of you who just come on Sunday morning, maybe, if you can make it once a month, and never go any further than that. And I'm fully aware that in raising the bar, we may have no one here next week, okay? And I may be trying to find a job as an electrician, all right? I'm fully aware of this, but it's got to stop. We've got to stop just, I mean, that's the American culture. It's, well, whatever's easiest for you is what we should do. And that's just a bunch of baloney. Jesus calls people to raise the bar. He expects something out of his followers. This is not just a free ticket into heaven and all is good. And once in a while, go hear a rah-rah church service on Sunday. No, this is training and making disciples. And some of you put your name and you gave your solemn oath. And you haven't done anything with it. And that's got to stop. So today we're raising the bar. Our fear as a leadership team is simply that we've become what we coined the phrase, a commuter church. Our deepest fear is that we've become a commuter church. Our leadership team has spent months uh, wrestling with this idea of how do we get our people to see that following Jesus is just more than something that, just more than what you do on Sunday. Like a commitment to Waukee Community Church means more than just occasionally showing up on a Sunday morning. We coined the phrase commuter church because 
of my experience living in Chicago. Uh, that's actually the L platform right next to the Booty Bible Institute where I went to school. And it's a great shot right downtown. But uh, here's, here's what happens in Chicago, all right? Generally, people who work downtown, most of them who work down in the loop live out in the suburbs somewhere. And they commute 30 minutes, anywhere from 30 minutes to 90 minutes a day, one way. And they get on a train, you get in this little sardine tin can box, and you ride for 90 minutes maybe to work. And then you get off the train station and you walk three blocks to your building where you go in an elevator and you get up to the 50th floor. And you stay on the 50th floor for your eight hours of work. Then you come down to the 50th, come down to the ground, get back on the train, commute 90 minutes back out to, to home, and you leave Chicago behind you. A commuter doesn't invest in a city. He just goes to work and comes back. A commuter doesn't even spend his money, probably. Maybe he eats lunch down there, and that's about it. He doesn't invest his money. He doesn't invest his time. He's just doing his duty. He's just sitting in the cubicle and getting his job done and going home. I was talking to Nick about this this week, and you know, Nick's in the jobs industry. And, and he says, we have a phrase for those kind of people in the industry. They're called cocoon people. Because they're not butterflies. They've never blossomed. They just stay in their cocoon. They do just enough to not get fired. Just enough where human resources won't let their boss fire them. Because they did just the minimum requirements to get done. And then they leave. That's the, same, that's the commuter church. We come. We do our duty. We go. And our deepest fear is that our lack of programs has created a commuter church. We come in. We hear a phenomenal sermon, Right? Thomas said it, not me. (laughs) Right, yeah. Thanks. Uh, But not just me, we had a great preaching team, all right? So we come in, we hear a message, we sing a few songs, because Dave told us we had to sing, and then we go home. And that's our deepest fear, is that we've remained cocooned. That we've never blossomed, I love the blossomed, as followers of Jesus, because we're just putting in the minimum. We're just doing what we can do to get by. Saw an article this week. I was fascinated by this. Um, the, the article's a few years old, but it's about a church in Sydney, Australia. And this uh, church really had trouble getting people to come. And so they designed a short commuter church service that are held at the parish church of St. Philip on York Street on early, early mornings before the work day begins. This service is 10 minutes long to accommodate commuters. All right? And if you look at it, it starts with a 20 to 30 second prayer reading, four minutes of reflection on the reading. So that's a four minute sermon. Some of you are loving that idea. And then uh, a minute of silent prayer and a few more minutes for questions or discussion. And the writer of the article says many churches have been developing a variety of quickie services in attempt to resurrect falling attendance. St. David's Church in Forestville offers a drive-in service where constituents can pick up a sermon and drive away. Now listen to this last line. Spokeswoman for the Anglican Church of Sydney's diocese, Margaret Rogers, said, It was better for people to attend the quick service than not go to church at all. That's a bunch of baloney. I mean, that's crap. Denny said it first so I can say it, all right? (laughs) That's a bunch of garbage. 
Friends, you don't go to church. You are the church. And you don't go to church to earn some kind of spiritual points before God. You go to church because you are steadfast moved that the call of Jesus on your life demands nothing less. It's not better to go to a 10-minute service than at all. It's better to not do anything because that's what you're doing. The commuter church requires nothing. And that's just not the kind of disciples that Jesus had in mind. We finally get to Luke 9. Here's what Jesus had in mind. Okay, so the stage. Let's set the stage, okay? Jesus sets out and he asks his disciples. He's got them in this moment, right? Where they're pulled away and and he's trying to interact with them in a meaningful moment. And he asks this question. Now, Jesus knows the right answer. But he wants to know what his disciples think. And so Jesus says to his, to his disciples, who do people say that I am? What's the, what's the pulse, the beat on society, you know? Who are people thinking that I am? And so they answer him. They replied, well, some say John the Baptist, you know, like, a, a, you know, John the Baptist reborn. And some say you're Elijah, like a reincarnated prophet, maybe, like back from the dead. And some say, uh, and, and some say various things. Yeah, you're one of the prophets of long ago that's come back to life. And Jesus says, okay, I got the pulse now. What do you say I am? Now, now notice this. I want you to know, Peter has a lot of dumb moments in his life. All right? Peter gets this. He nails this one. He says, you are the Christ of God. You are the son of God. You are the Messiah. You are the one. You're not a reincarnated prophet. You're not a super teacher. You're not a swell dude. You are the Messiah. And he nails it. He gets the answer right. Now watch what Jesus does with this. Jesus says, okay, you got the right answer and you're following me. Now, if you're following me, here's where we're going. Look at verse 22. 21, sorry. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell us to anyone. And then in 22, he says, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. That is not what Peter wanted to hear. Peter wanted to just to go, you got it, Peter. You're the, I am the Messiah. Let's go. You're on the A team and you're on the right track and we're going to go and we're going to take over the world. And we're going to party together and you are in the right spot. And Peter, you're going to be in some awesome spot of glory because you're going to reign with me. And you got it, Peter. That's what Peter wanted to hear. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, if you're following me, I am going to die and you're going to suffer too. And then Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross. And follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I mean, mean, you see what he's doing? Who bears a cross? We hear that verse, take up your cross and follow me. And we think of uh, some sort of burden, right? Well, that's not a burden. Something really heavy. You know, like, oh, we got to take a big burden. And that's the Christian life. I got to carry a burden. You have to understand, in the first century where Jesus lived, the only people that carried crosses were people that were marching to their death. Those are the people that carried crosses. It wasn't a heavy burden, although it was. 
It was a death sentence. Anyone who wants to follow me must take up his cross. It's not come and hear a nice sermon. It's not come and do your religious duty every week. Every week, Jesus' invitation is to come and die. Come and die. If you're going to follow Jesus, the road he's paving will lead you to death. Now, before you think I'm going to preach some mass suicide cult and pass out Kool-Aid, <laughs> let me explain what he means by death. There's three verbs here, and you can't miss these three verbs, okay? They're so important to what this text says. The first verb is deny yourself. And that's the idea of death to self. The second verb is take up. The first is deny yourself. Take up your cross daily. So this death is a daily thing. It happens often. And the last one is follow. Now, don't miss the tense. We didn't get this in our English Bible, so you've got to catch this, okay? The tense of the first two verbs is different than the tense of the third one. The the tense of the first two verbs, deny yourself and take up your cross, is something in Greek called the aorist tense. Now, I know you don't really care about that, but let me explain to you why it's important. An aorist tense is a past tense. You know, I did it in the past. But it's different than a straight past tense. An aorist tense has a, is, a, is a past tense with ongoing ramifications to the present and the future. So what happened in the past has significant impact on what happens today and tomorrow. So the idea here is take up your cross, deny yourself, take up your cross, or in the past, but they have Huge ramifications for the present. Now, the word follow, the third verb, follow, that's a present tense thing. When you came to Jesus, you made a decision. And now you must follow the ramifications of that decision. Namely, that's death to self. As followers of Christ, we died. Paul says, you died to your sins and trespasses. You died to that way of life. And now we do that every day. As followers of Christ, death to my desires is death to this vain pursuit of happiness. It's death to my way of life. And it's following the master so that his agenda for my life becomes the primary motivating factor in life. That's the message of the cross. His death, my death in him, his death becomes the primary motivating factor for how I live. And frankly, we don't do that. Myself included. You know, I just went on on this global missions trip and I lectured our team before they came home. I sat them down and I said, listen, here's what's going to happen. You're going to come home and you're going to go to the grocery store and you're just going to be in awe. Because you have 700 choices of cereal at the grocery store, right? And you're going to be disgusted when you see that, like, people are driving these cars that, in, our, in the country we visit, like, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's few and far in between. And, and you, you know, if you get in an accident in the country we go visit, uh, you give them $10 and you exchange money and everyone goes their own way. So all the cars are just, you know, 
beat up. And so you come back and you see this, this, all this American culture stuff and it's easy to become disgusted. And it's easy to become disgusted with the American church where we've turned church into just something we do on Sundays. And you're going to be disgusted. And I said, don't let that happen. And then it came home and it happened to me. <laughs> but to be fair, I was thinking about all this stuff before we left. All right? Because we had had this commuter church discussion for a long time. The primary, primary motivating factor is our death to self and our life for Christ. Let me try to just put this into, into some kind of practical picture for you. All right, I, I tell dads all the time. Dads, when you come home from work, if you've got kids of any age that are still living at home, all right, you don't get a vacation. Like, there's no off work time. You go to work, dads, and you slave away at your day, and you put in you know, a crazy amount of hours, and you're exhausted, and you come home, and what you want to do is flip on the football game and not interact with anyone. Don't talk to me. Just give me dinner, right? But dads, when you go home, work is not over for the day. Because when you decided to have kids, you died to that life. And as a dad, you don't get time off anymore. Because you died to that life. That's a picture of dying to Christ. Diets. I bet a third of you are on some sort of diet right now, right? You're eating some sort of prepackaged food or, you know, running 100,000 miles a day. Whatever it is, but listen, uh, and I know something about loving food, all right? As you can tell, I, you know, and, and I've, I've done the diet thing. When, when you diet, you die to a way of life, if you do it right. And we, we sort of get it, you know? I died to deep dish Chicago pizza if I'm on a diet. Now, just to be clear, I'm not on a diet, okay? But, uh, you know, but we, you, we get this idea of dying to something and then living for something. Um. If any of you have ever been, traveled or been around the country, again, the global missions team foremost on my mind since we just got back. But I, we were on this trip, and someone said to me, basically in a discussion around our group uh, in the morning before we headed out, the, the question was, why is it easier to share the gospel uh, halfway around the world? Why is it easier to do that than it is to share, you know, with my coworker or my neighbor? And I think I know the answer to that question. The answer is because on a mission trip, you've chosen to deny yourself and pick up your cross. But the truth is, two weeks after we're home, we like to put down our cross again. And we don't want to die to that anymore. That, that's a picture of what it means to die every day to Christ. Now, there's one more step in this death process. Why did Jesus take up his cross? The Bible is clear that he did it for his bride, the church. He gave his life for the church. But you and I, if we have a headache, we can't do something for the church. And we're supposed to be his bride. See, the challenge is to love the church as much as Christ loved it. You want to talk about denying yourself? This is a complete reorientation of our way of thinking. And it's embracing Christ. Now, Jesus' invitation is to come and die. Okay, last C. We got five C's today. Uh, the last C is change. Because some of you are like, Dave, whoa, take it easy on us. Uh, you know, this wasn't the cheery message that I had. Um, and 
but honestly, I, I really think that our elders have prayed through this, and they feel like this is where we are. We need to come and die. And so I think if I were to survey you, I would, I would bet that the vast majority of you would say, Dave, that's what I want. I mean, I get it. It's hard, but I want to come and die. I, I would say the vast majority of us would say that. And that encourages me. Come and die. That's what I want for my life. But the truth is, committing to church is a whole lot easier. But I have hope because I don't believe that we want to be a commuter church. Maybe someday, some of you do, and you'll find another church, and that's just what will happen. We want to be more. It's just that we sort of lost our, our vision for disciple making. And so what I'm praying for is that we wouldn't put into motion the desires that I believe God has put onto the heart of the leadership team. Here's six things we want to accomplish this year. Richard's going to visit them a little bit more at the, the um, annual meeting, but listen to these. It's our desire to multiply. We want to see not just physical babies born. We love it. Keep it up, everyone. But we want to see spiritual babies born. We want to see people actively sharing their faith, which might stretch you. You'll be uncomfortable, trust me. Um, We want to multiply. We want to serve. It's become obvious to us that this uh, sort of like let you all decide what you want to do in the community it may be working and we don't know, and I love that. Like, there are, it's not that none of you are serving your community. There's stuff that you're doing. I mean, you're loving your neighbor, and I don't know anything about that, and that's awesome. But we want to physically identify needs of Waukee and get involved and start giving our time away. And relationally, multiply, serve relationships. The third thing, we want to see people really in life groups. And that's a hard thing. It's not only hard if everyone goes, hey, I want to be in a life group. I mean, Bob has got his work cut out for him as he gets all these life groups together. But we want to see it. And we want to see transformation in terms of mentorship. We want to really see people get involved in each other's lives and say, I'm going to take you, my friend, and I'm going to show you what it looks like to live for Jesus. I'm going to disciple you. We want to see transformation. We want to clarify some doctrinal issues in our church. That's on our agenda. And then we want to have this action of figuring out at some point, how we can hire more staff to help us accomplish our goal of making leaders and disciples. Those are six things we want to do. The ultimate challenge, though, is will you die with me? Will you come and die with Christ? Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. I love Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a Christian that lived in Germany at the time of Hitler. And when the church was pandering to Hitler... Bonhoeffer stood up and said, this is not what it means to be a follower of Christ. I love this quote. Earthly possessions dazzle our eyes and delude us into thinking that they can provide security and freedom from anxiety, yet all the time they are the very source of anxiety. We spend our whole lives, friends, chasing happiness. Who knew that we wouldn't be happy until we gave up the pursuit? Happiness comes in death. So I want to ask you, have you gotten lazy in your faith? The the, uh, writer of a commentary that I really like wrote this phrase, and I read it to you because I can't say it better than he did. In talking about death to self, coming and dying with Christ, the writer says, so discipleship requires a renewal of the mind and a commitment of the heart to that renewal. 
It'll mean intense involvement with God's word and with other believers who are dedicated to growing in their faith. A disciple is never stagnant. He never sits around in this spiritual life mode where God cannot challenge him or her to a deeper walk. As Jesus has noted, it's an offering of the self in service to the Son of Man. Friends, that's our desire. That this word of God would permeate our lives. And that our relationships would not just be, you know, hey, how's the wife and the kids? And how's life? And boy, uh, the cubs stink. (laughs) You know, I mean, that's our relationships would go. How is Christ changing you? That our relationships would be, how is the word of God changing you? That our relationships would be, God, help me disciple someone. Everyone should be discipled and being discipled. Be a discipler and be discipled. So coming on Sunday is not a sacrifice. This is not get your credit with God. Coming here is a delight and a joy because you know that God is going to change you. That's my challenge. Will you come and die with me this year? Will you come make Waukee Community Church more than just a commuter church? Would you die for Christ? And live it out. Let's pray. God, I, I have to be honest that, um, you know, this wasn't one of the easier messages I've preached. But I thank you that you gave us leaders who were not ashamed to, to say, we don't like where we're at. And we want to be more. So God, I pray for our leaders first and foremost. That you would give them the courage to live out the vision that they have laid. That you would give them the courage to be disciplers. And that our leaders would lead out of a brokenness of spirit and a death to Christ. They would die to themselves and live for Christ. So God, that is my prayer for our leaders. Then secondly, I pray for the church. God, I pray that the church, this church, your bride, for whom you gave your life, that we would live out this vision and be disciplers. And so God, I don't know how to make everyone do that. I can't. But your Holy Spirit, you can. God, you can transform us and break us and make us into the people you want us to be. God, I thank you that Waukee Community Church is a kind of place that really does desire to be a discipling church. So God, change us. Make us into the desires of our hearts and help us to die to self every day. And I pray this all in the precious In holy name of Jesus, amen.